Good morning. You didn't know we had Jimi Hendrix up here, did you? It's Memorial Day. I was taught years ago when I was a young boy never to wish anyone happy Memorial Day. That wasn't the proper thing to do. But things have changed these days. For many people, uh, Memorial Day means a long weekend. It means barbecues. It means the beach. It means sales at the Westminster Mall. And while these things are nice, they aren't the real meaning of Memorial Day. Memorial Day has been celebrated for nearly 150 years. It was originally called Decoration Day. And it was brought about at the close of the Civil War to honor the Americans on both sides who died in that terrible war. It's a day to remember and to honor those who died in service to the U.S. through all our wars in history. And I'd be remiss today, since I've been given the chance to preach, to not recognize those in our midst who have paid that ultimate price, but also those here who are veterans, either during wartime or during peacetime. So I'm going to ask any of you here who have served in the military at any point in your lives, if you would stand and be recognized. And we thank you for your service, because without you, we wouldn't be a free nation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these men and women who have served their country so honorably. Lord, we pray for the families who've lost loved ones uh, throughout our history. Lord, we give them to you, and we pray that you will continue to bless their lives and bless us through their lives. So, Lord, we give this time to you. We give this service to you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We celebrate Memorial Day one day a year. And it's pretty much the same as we do with a lot of other periods, a lot of other holidays, if you will. Birthdays, anniversaries, holidays, things like that. 
days in which we remember some important event in our lives or in the lives of our country or of our faith. Sometimes these remembrances, these memorials, fill us with a feeling of joy and excitement where we can't wait to get outside and be with people, even people we don't know. I think of July 4th, uh, having spent the last few decades here in this area in Huntington Beach for a while, uh, we would go and have gone to the Huntington Beach 4th of July parade every year. And it's just a joy when we go just to be out there with those people celebrating the independence of our country. But sometimes Memorial Days, these days of remembrance, are intensely personal, solemn. There's people in this room, myself included, who have lost loved ones. And on those particular days when they come around each year, we don't necessarily celebrate them but we remember, and that's what today is all about, remembrance. It's a memorial day, a day of remembrance. And those days for some of us are solemn days. But each of those days, whether they're joyous or whether they're sad, where you just don't even want to be around anybody. You just want to go in the house, draw the blinds, lock the door, and just be by yourself in your grief. There are varying degrees of those days of remembrance. And each one is different but important to each of us. Oftentimes in these days of remembrance, that we have, they're used as teaching moments. And God's word is replete with these. I'll just, name a, I'll just name two of them off the top of my head here. One is Joshua 4. Remember when the Israelites stacked rocks when they crossed the Jordan. For the purpose was, when our children ask what these rocks are here for, we can tell them. It was a remembrance. It was a memorial of when God allowed the Ark of the Covenant and His people to cross the Jordan. In Matthew 26, the institution of the Lord's Supper. That's something that we celebrate. It's a remembrance we have. Matter of fact, it says, do this in remembrance of me. To remember his promise and the fact that he's coming again to be with us. One special example of these teaching remembrances is illustrated in today's passage. Actually, today's chapter. The passage is all of chapter 5 in Genesis. 
And it's not the most exciting chapter of the Bible, if you've read it. It's a list of names. The whole chapter. From Adam through Noah. And it gives their names. It gives their 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 date when they were born, not the date, but how many years it were it was before they were born. It gives their age when they passed away, when they died. And it mentions for each one of them almost that they died. John Calvin, in his prodigious commentary, he calls this passage a naked and apparently dry narration. And on its surface, that may be the case when we look at it. A lot of folks call it the begats. So-and-so begat so-and-so. Adam begat Seth. Seth begat somebody begat. (laughs) You think to yourself, you step back and go, okay, what is the purpose of this? What, What is the purpose of all these names? But looking deeper at this chapter, this apparently mundane and dry and naked chapter, we see something that speaks to the state of those times back at the dawn of man. It was a time early in history, a time cloaked in specific and focused remembrance Not a whole lot had happened prior to that, historically. Not a lot of different things to fall back on. It was a time where the past had everything to do with the present. It was a grand memorial. It was an admonition coupled with a promise of hope. And that's what we have when we read through this chapter and we see these names and we see these periods of life and we understand that they died all but one. A naked and dry narration? Maybe so. But God's word, nevertheless. Paul writes, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Even the most dry and mundane passages are still God-breathed. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit. And as Isaiah says, they're never to come back void. 
So with this groundwork of remembrance set for us, let's read today's passage. Genesis 5, if you would stand with me as I read this chapter. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man, and they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Adam were 130 years, and he died. Then when Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years. And he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. 
And after Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. God bless the reading of his word. Consider all these memorial days. You had Adam, who lived a total of 930 years. 800 years of his life, Seth was alive. 695 years of Adam's life, Enosh was alive. Kenan was alive 605 years of Adam's life. Mahalalel was alive 535 of Adam's life. Jared, 470 years of Adam's life. Enoch, 308 years of Jared's, of uh, Adam's life. Methuselah, 243 years of Adam's life. And Lamech, 56 years of Adam's life. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight generations who were alive at the same time Adam was alive. In all these days, they were inculcated with lessons of paradise and paradise lost. Not handed down necessarily, but from first hand. You've got eight generations of sons, of descendants, and their kids. Because it says each one of these, they had other sons and daughters. You have probably thousands, maybe even millions of people who were hearing first-hand accounts of what it was like before the fall and after the fall. They learned it from the very person that lived through it and the very person that even created the issue of sin in our world. Imagine the impact on Adam's descendants during this period. These stories, these warnings, day after day, year after year, century after century, passed down firsthand and secondhand from each of the descendants to their children. All these generations, over eight generations, over 1,600 years, over 600,000 days, and potentially six million times to countless individuals, the story of what it was like to live with God hand in hand in an intimate relationship, one on one. And then what happened that fateful day when it all just fell apart because of a, of a selfish 
decision. Imagine the impact that these folks had lived through after hearing over and over again what it was like to live in a perfect world. No death, no sickness. Food was there. Adam was the vice regent on earth of God. God gave him the job of watching over and multiplying on the earth, to grow the earth, to take care of the garden. And he made it so easy for him, apparently. He didn't have to break a sweat just to eat. The food was there, and it was probably great. He'd be with God on a daily basis, maybe even moment by moment, he would be intimately associated with his Creator. Imagine hearing about that directly from the person that lived through that, that was created and spent all this time with God. And then imagine hearing over and over again from his mouth what things Adam went through in his mind and his heart as he was being tempted by Satan. Can I really have it all? Did God really... Say, I, I can do all this, but I can't have that. What's he holding back from me? Who should I believe? God? Because what the serpent is saying, it's making me think. Can I really be like God? Knowing good and evil? Because if I know good and evil... Wow, I can be my own God. I'll be autonomous. Imagine what it was like to hear from his own mouth what it was like during that time when he was being tempted. And then imagine hearing over and over the story of the terror and the shame that their parents felt after just cracking open that door that led sin into a perfect world. They hid. They made cloths for themselves to hide their nakedness out of fig leaves. They were trying to do it themselves. They were trying to cover up their sin themselves. Imagine hearing that. Imagine the animus that Adam's descendants may have felt toward him for the consequences that they were now paying for. For the hard life that they were experiencing and would continue to experience 
only at the end to die. But then imagine the hope that Adam, no doubt, mentioned to them. Imagine them hearing about the first messianic prophecy found in Genesis 3, verse 15. The first glimmer of the gospel spoken. Theologians call it the proto-evangelium. When God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Imagine hearing that from Adam. Wow. There's some hope here. We're not all just destined to break sweat just to eat bread, only to die. And this hope that they no doubt also heard about would be demonstrated even within their own generations as it moved forward. The fact that God had not abandoned them for their unfaithfulness was illustrated in the life of Enoch, the one of the group who did not die. Enoch walked with God, it says. He walked with God and he was not, for God took him. The Hebrew there the, of, of, was not just to take. The Hebrew gives the understanding, for God took him to himself. In the catalog of these generations that we'll read through here in, in chapter 5, all taken out of the world by death, Death, which was now man's common lot. But Moses plainly declares that Enoch was taken out of the world differently. He was received by the Lord in a miraculous manner. Enoch, in the midst of his life, In the midst of this sinful culture, sinful times, suddenly vanished from the face of the earth, suddenly vanished from the sight of men, because the Lord chose to take him to himself. And in Enoch, this first idea after the fall of an example of immortality was exhibited for all to see. This was proof of the hope amid a world of hardship, amid a world of pain, amid a world of sin, and a world of death.
So this book of the generations of Adam, we have a panorama of life as it was. Life in paradise. And just like that, was brought down to an existence that ends in death and shame. But nevertheless, an existence that still had hope. Like Adam and his immediate descendants who went from life to death, we too have memorial days. We too today have days of remembrance. But unlike Adam and his immediate progeny, our days of remembrance go from death to life rather than life to death as his did. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Where Adam and his descendants, immediate descendants, went from life to death. The hope that came at that same time brings us today and our descendants from death to life. We have a duty because of this, just as Adam did. A duty to cause our children to remember. To have a number of memorial days. To cause them to remember. To give them many of the days like that. Where they're reminded again and again of the grace that God has poured on us. That will eventually overturn what happened so many eons ago in the garden. Ours are memorial days to talk about that commemorate life in Christ, not death in sin. A life of paradise, not paradise lost. We should communicate to our families and especially our children what's written in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, 
The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise up. We're to do what Adam did to his immediate descendants. We're to teach them. Not of life that translated into death, but of death that translates into life. We're to teach them that. And we're to teach it to them constantly. We're to inculcate them over and over and over again so that it never leaves their mind, so that it couches everything they do. It frames every decision they make. It leads them in a life to the glory of God. We're to do it when we're at home. Just sitting around. We're to do it when we go outside with them and walk around or, or play or run or drive in our case. You're to do it when you lie down at bedtime. Pray with your children. Teach them what God has taught you. You're to teach them when they rise up. First thing in the morning. What a wonderful day this will be. God has wretched us from the doldrums of death and sin into eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Parents and grandparents here, that's your job. Your job. It's not the churches, it's not the pastors. It's not the Sunday school teachers. It is your job to teach your children the ways of God and do it in a manner that they will hear it over and over and see it through your lives played out so that eventually it will sink in. Raise a child up in the ways he should go, and when he grows older, he won't depart from it. Does that mean you will have children that will never slide back? No. We see it all the time. But what it means is, as they're sliding back, they know, hmm, this isn't right. And at some point, they'll come back to the way God would have them live. 
and teach it in such a way that they will pass it down to their kids and their grandchildren. Think of the legacy of your family, what it would be like if all of us did that. Proclaim God's greatness to them. Proclaim God's love to them. Let each day be a day of remembrance of His mercy. Let each day be a day of memorial of the things He's done. We remember our fallen service men and women here today. We remember their sacrifices. Do the same with your children. Make it a day where every day is a day of memorial, where every day is a day of remembrance. Psalm 71. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come, that your righteousness, O God, reaches the highest, the high heavens. You have done great things, O God, who is like you. You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From your depths of the earth you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteousness, of your righteous help all the day long. For they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. Move out from here today. Tell of the glorious wonders of God and what he's done for you. Wretching you from death to life. Tell your children. And if they've also been given eternal life through the blood of Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean you shouldn't remind them. Keep reminding them. Keep these days of remembrance going day after day after day in your homes on the way 
when you lie down, and when you rise up. This passage in Genesis is all about remembrance. And until you look at that graph that actually, where you see the lifespans and how they relate to Adam, those years of life, when I read this prior to this, meant nothing to me. I didn't even know why they did it. But what an amazing story. What an amazing charge we've been given to preach the gospel, to pray, and to bring folks and our families into a right relationship to God and then to bring them more and more into the fold that is Jesus Christ into his image. Lord, we thank you for these passages that you give us. Even the ones that on the surface don't look real. Oh, what can I learn from that? We thank you for those, Lord, because we keep going back to 2 Timothy 3 where it says every scripture is God-breathed and helpful and needed so that the man of God and woman of God will be brought to fruition in Jesus Christ. We thank you for this day. Lord, keep us ever mindful of those who've we have lost throughout our history in the battles and the wars. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the ability of being able to remember. Thank you, Jesus. And we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.